There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Wednesday, May 11th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Here are the stories we've got for you today. Six years ago, a Prince George's County police officer responding to an active shooter outside his own police station was killed by friendly fire. All these years later, his family has settled with the county but say they still want justice. We speak with John Doman about how this case could move forward. It, it seems like there, there's some, some hope that maybe criminal charges will be reviewed again at some point. And the financial markets have us using a multisyllabic word, volatility. So how will young investors fare, many who put their stimulus checks into Robinhood and Bitcoin? We speak with Lynx Investments founder Peter Tannis about how this crowd should navigate this roller coaster of a market. This is normal. The trick is not to panic out. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. Six years ago, a Prince George's County police officer was killed by friendly fire when he was responding to an attack on a police station. Today, his family has settled with the county for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Back in March of 2016, Ja'Kai Colson pulled up to the 3rd District Station out of uniform as an undercover officer. He came upon an active shooter, shot the active shooter, but then lost his life due to friendly fire. Colson's parents long argued that the fellow officer who shot him shouldn't have pulled the trigger. WTOP's John Doman joins us now on Zoom from near the station where Colson lost his life in Palmer Park. And John, just to review what happened here, this was six years ago when Michael Ford and his brothers pulled up, dropped Michael off. Michael began shooting at random cars, and he later said he was trying to, you know, be killed by police by doing this. Can you remind us what happened next and how this response really went wrong? So it was just this maniacal scene almost where this guy wanted to be shot and killed by police on video. You've got the police station right back over that way. Right over here is a community center right next door. You have the shopping center right here, daycare center, and a playground. And there's just lots of cars going by. This is a busy road through the Palmer Park area. And, and so he just starts shooting at police officers, especially when the headquarters was right in that building back there, too. There was a lot of police activity there all the time. He starts shooting. Officers are responding. They come flying in trying to figure out what's going on, because all they know is that there's this flurry of bullets coming. Mm. And Ja'Kai Colson, who was an undercover officer, uh, but he had his badge with him, had his gun with him. He was in the area at the time. He shows up. He fired a shot and, and helps uh, to, to neutralize Michael Ford at that point. Seconds later, as many as 30 seconds later, maybe, he ends up getting shot by a police officer that the Colson family says should have known who he was. Right. That the way he was responding at the time, holding his badge out, announcing himself that that this should not have been a case of mistaken identity the way the county and the police department at the time framed it as such. And let's pause uh, here for a second to talk about why Colson's family really thinks he never should have been shot in the first place. We know that Ja'Kai Colson and the officer that ended up shooting and killing him, they worked together for a period of time. Yeah, no, the, the family is adamant that they knew each other. Today, they they insinuated, so sort of suggested that race could have been a factor in this. The only justification 
that could be provided was that Taylor Krause thought that Ja'Kai Colson was somehow involved in this shooting. So if you want to know if this case is about race, it is, there is no way to separate race out of this case. They're convinced that, that the officer who pulled the trigger should have known better and was sort of reckless. They, they're not alleging malice in any of this, mm -hmm. but certainly recklessness, poor training, and, and some of the lawyers involved with the, the case and representing the Colsons, they filed lawsuits against the county for other acts of police misconduct. Uh, so they're also using this as sort of just another example in their patterns and practice claim that the county just does a bad job of training police officers and, and doesn't do a good job of holding bad cops accountable. And so, John, just to be clear, this settlement has no bearing on whether, you know, Kraus is guilty in this killing or has any responsibility for it. It really is just about this civil suit, right? Taylor Krause was actually never charged. He wasn't found not guilty. He was, the case was presented before the grand jury. The grand jury decided not to indict in that case. And a few years later, uh, Krause ended up retiring from the department and, and is no longer a police officer here. So there was never, I guess, a judgment found one way or the other about his actions. The case actually never went to trial. And, and sort of an interesting thing with that, the, the Colson family is very adamant that they believe justice has not been served yet. By no means is the Colson family finished, all right? Because there's still justice to be done. And as long as my wife and our other son, Jeray, Ja'Kai's younger brother, has breath and strength in us, you best believe we're not going nowhere. It seems like there, there's some, some hope that maybe criminal charges will be reviewed again at some point, that, that maybe this will be taken to a, to a criminal trial, which is, which is not to say that anything like that is imminent. The brother who fired the shots, Michael Ford, we should say, was convicted of first-degree assault and weapons charges, and he's in prison for a very long time. I think it's 65 years. Officer Taylor Krauss, as you mentioned, retired from the department. And then back in 2018 is when the Colsons filed suit against the county and Kraus because saying, you know, they didn't get all the facts. Do we have any idea why this took so long? That's a pretty long time. Uh, I, I mean, some of it is just, I'm sure, the negotiations of, of a civil, civil lawsuit. I, I do know that County Executive Angela Alsobrooks, you know, we, we actually spoke on the phone with her a little bit ago about, because the, the Colson family was really uh, upset. There's still a lot of strong feelings against the county leadership, including Alsobrooks, who was at the time the state's attorney, the top prosecutor in the county. There are a lot of hard feelings sort of alleging that this was covered up, that they weren't given all the facts, that that the, the county was sort of playing politics and not trying to give their son justice. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a sentiment that she was uh, not in agreement with, I guess is probably the easiest way to put it. She said that she spent eight hours with the Colson family reviewing the investigation, going over every shred of evidence in the case. And, and she also points to her record. You know, she started a unit inside the state's attorney's office that focused on um, basically prosecuting bad cops for for doing uh, the wrong thing on the job, I guess. Mm -hmm. and, and she said there's, there's no reason why she wouldn't have taken this case to court when she took so many others to court if the evidence was there. She says that just in this case, the evidence wasn't there, but that every other time that they prosecuted a police officer, they went through the grand jury process, they got the indictment, and then you know it either went to, went to trial or, or it was resolved from that point on. In this case, they didn't get the indictment, and their claim is that just, you know, the evidence wasn't there. Mm. She, I mean, she also said, you know, her heart goes out to the family. There's definitely an acknowledgement that this is a, a grieving family still upset by what happens, and she doesn't fault them for that, but the, the, the facts and the reality of the situation are just kind of what they are here.
It's an awful circumstance. Uh, today, what did Colson's family have to say about the settlement? One quote in particular from Colson's mother was that, you know, no amount of money can kind of fix the situation here. It, it is a $400,000 settlement, the maximum that was allowed under law at the time that the shooting happened. I wouldn't say they're happy. They're definitely not happy. They don't feel like they've gotten justice. He was a hero, saved the community, saved an entire community, only to, only to be recklessly and carelessly shot. They're still going to, to events that all the stuff that he should have been going to over these years, they're going to instead. Every time there's a holiday, every time we get invited to Jakai's peers, their weddings, their firstborn children, Jakai would be gone, but instead we go in this place. They don't feel that that's fair. They think that this was not handled well. They think that this was a cover-up. Whether that's the case or not, I mean, that's how they feel. And, and so there, there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of grudges, a lot of hard feelings that still linger here over this uh, scene six years later. Mm. Well, John, thank you for bringing us to this story, and it's a tragic one. Thank you for um, telling it. Good talking to you guys again. And after the break, even if you're not a day trader, the volatility of the financial markets may have you wishing for a crystal ball. We'll get guidance from an investment expert on how younger investors can navigate a market in flux. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download Podcast. Megan and I do this show all on our own, and we appreciate you making us a part of your day. If you like the show or have a suggestion, let us know by leaving a review or rating the show. Both of those things help us get better and help us grow our audience. Thanks again. The financial markets have been pretty good over the last three years. And within that span, a lot of young investors have come into the fold using Robinhood, looking into cryptocurrency to try their hand at investing. But recently, we've seen a lot of volatility in the markets and some major indexes have gone down. So for these young investors, how do they navigate this sobering market? Joining us now is Peter Tanis, founder and chairman emeritus of Lynx Investments in D.C. He actually just wrote a book on this subject called The Pure Equity Plus Plan. And Peter, the market has been pretty volatile lately. Many of us are wondering what to do with our money. So with the large caveat that this is just advice and everyone assumes their own risk, what do you suggest for investors under 40 do with their 401k investments? So let's talk about retirement money. The best way to accumulate a fortune in retirement, history proves, is to be at least 90% in stocks. Forget about bonds. They get you nowhere. Mm. The only reason bonds are recommended is to reduce the volatility of the portfolio. But stocks are where the growth is. And there are no 20-year periods in American history when you lost money in stocks. Mm. So in other words, there's volatility in the short term. But when you stretch out over 20 years, it actually isn't volatile. It goes up. Exactly right. The market goes up roughly 10% a year. The trouble is that there are periods of time like the one we're going through now. Uh, you know, the market is down around 20% year to date. 
But keep in mind that the market was up double digits for the past three years. Mm. Uh, that's also a rare occurrence. So <laughs> this is normal. The trick is not to panic out. Whereas some advisors tell you to watch your investments closely, I am telling you just the opposite. You buy index funds per my book, you buy index funds and a little bit of gold, you have the money go in regularly and never look at it. Mm. And so, you know, during the pandemic, I think a lot of young folks, you know, got these stimulus checks, they downloaded Robinhood or E-Trade on their phones, you know, and they became kind of traders just in stocks themselves. And I think, as you said, over the past two years, they've seen probably significant, substantial, maybe unrealistic gains. And now they're seeing some of their biggest losses. What do you say to those, you know, kind of fresh, young investors? Yeah, well, number one, welcome to the real world. It was easy easy when the market was going up. Everybody looked like a genius. They say, wait a minute, this is too easy. Look at all the money I could make. Mm. Who needs to work? I'll become a day trader. Unfortunately, the problem is you can't predict when markets like this are going to happen. And they are gut-wrenching And uh, if you have a short-term point of view. If you have a long-term point of view, you, you can safely ignore it. Remember, it's all about that 20-year runway. There are no periods during 20, for 20 years when you lost money in stocks. A question about the 401k. Obviously, if your employer offers a match, you want to take that match, especially since your advice is to stay in the markets. But would you try and take more control over how your 401k is invested? No, uh, you want the professionals to deal with the 401k. The other uh, bit of advice that I give is if you have the choice between a regular IRA and a Roth IRA, for people who are you know fairly young and making under $150,000 a year, use the Roth because you're using after-tax dollars, but it grows tax-free. So all of a sudden, these few thousand dollars that you're putting into it every year grow to hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And when you take it out, you don't have to pay taxes on them. Mm. I'm interested if you think that the cost of living plays in here, because obviously gas prices going up, food prices going up. What other considerations do we need to make? Because you need to have that savings to cover the fact that life's going to cost you more right now. How do you kind of make that trade-off? You have not one, but two separate savings accounts. One is your retirement account, which is invested almost 100% in stocks. The other is invested more conservatively for things like what you just talked about, Megan. For example, emergencies, buying a house, And that money will grow at a slower pace because you're going to need it sooner. Mm. So likewise, as per your example, this is a time when, especially if you're on a tight budget, you're going to need some of that money to account for the higher expenses that you're incurring now, like gas and food, and increasingly now exorbitantly rent. Let's say you haven't even invested ever and you're seeing this market volatile and you're like, whoa, this seems untrustworthy. Like this market's going up and down for someone who thinks, oh, the market's untrustworthy. What would you say to them if they're hesitant to invest you know, any portion well, of their money? I can convince them fairly quickly if they have a sense of history that this would be a wonderful opportunity to start. Just start putting a little bit of money away a little bit at a time, 
into stocks and let and buy index funds. I explain this in the book and let the market do the work for you. You know, what I tell people is when they, you know, when they ask questions like that, I say, look, I got a hundred years of stock market history on my side. What do you got? Just the last couple of weeks that is freaking everybody out, I'm sure. Yeah, no question about it. And, and with just reason too, especially those day traders you talked about. Right. Speaking about history, in the last few years, we've seen cryptocurrency pop up, which history has sure. not seen. How should investors really treat cryptocurrency, which seems to have significant gains, but also significant losses? My attitude on that is this. Most of us have no clue what cryptocurrency is, except in a very general sense. Mm. You know, we read around blockchains and algorithms and all this other stuff. It's all mumbo jumbo. Mm. The problem with cryptocurrency and the problem with, you know, the Bitcoins of this world or the Ethereums of this world is that there's no real foundation holding them up. That's the negative side, but there is a positive side. The positive side is that this looks like a wave of the future in terms of how the world is going to operate financially. So my simple answer to that is put a small percentage of your savings into those things and also forget about it and hope for the best, uh, no more than 10%. There is a significant portion of society that doesn't make you know, a ton of money that makes you know maybe $50,000 or under. Should you still invest? Yeah, the answer is almost insensitive because you say everybody should invest and you know, uh, you're on the other side of this conversation and and you're thinking, yeah, you know, you don't have my rent bill and you don't have my grocery bill and you don't have my bill for the kids. Easy for you to say. No matter what your income, you should try and it's not easy but you should try to put something away every payday and forget about it. Mm. And, 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 and in my case, I'm saying you put, you put it in an index fund or two index funds, as I explained, and you just forget about it. Now for somebody making $50,000 a year, if they can do, you know, a hundred dollars a month, that's okay. Mm. You'd be surprised. It's a good start, and maybe you'll be making more than fifty thousand dollars a year five years from now, and you can add you can add to it. But it's a good it's a good start. Well, Peter Tana is founder and chairman emeritus of Lynx Investments in D.C., helping us navigate what is going to be a very influential bear market here in the next couple months. Thank you very much. Pleasure. And before we go, Luke, are you a Wheel of Fortune watcher? You know, I'm not, but I love seeing the little videos I see on social media. It looks very fun. Of people winning? Yes. Okay, so one of those people, was, which was Monday, it aired Monday, is Mike Halpern from Chantilly, who won big time. How much did he win? He won $122,000 and a vacation to Aruba. Wow. I know. This, it was so funny watching him win because... He's yelling and dancing, of course, but then he drops to the floor and starts doing a snow angel and all the confetti. Oh, my gosh. But have you ever been in a game shows at all? Or was that ever like a part of your you know, evening routine when no. you were making dinner or no. whatever? Nope. No, my parents didn't let me watch TV for the longest time. So no game shows for Luke for a long time. Okay, so I, I love Jeopardy. I'm not a Wheel of Fortune girl. But I love Jeopardy. Uh, my parents watch it every night. And we always would watch it. And when I was young, we had a Nintendo and I had like the Jeopardy game. Whoa. 
I played it so often that I memorized, like I played every single question. You knew the game. I knew the game. I knew the answer to every question. Wow. And then I would, and all my friends who came over, sorry if they're listening now, I would be like, oh, do you want to play Jeopardy? I, <laughs> do you want to play Jeopardy with me? Unassuming. And then I would kill. I would be so good. <laughs> wow. Well, I guess good for you. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's not my it. best look, but you know, it was fun. I feel like everybody had a game like that. My brother, when we played GoldenEye when we were little, he would set up like traps. So when you came back to life, you would come back to life in a trap and then you'd just die again. And he would continue to play and I would keep coming back to life and dying. Wow. That is uh, that is some good stuff right it's there. It's not just me. Again. It's a mean I was... video game player. <laughs> Can't relate. Was not allowed to play video games. So just, just had sticks outside. That's what I did. <laughs> Maybe I'll let you borrow my old Nintendo <laughs> NES and you can, uh, you know, I'll play you in Jeopardy. How about that? Not bad. Not bad. Uh, that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download, sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate the show if you get the chance. And you can also follow us on social media, where we post content every day. You'll see behind the scenes. You can find out more about the podcast and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a great night, guys.